Everybody glad you're here. I got to apologize. I didn't get to greet anybody in the upper section. Feel the hug. Jake's not even here to join in greeting with me. He and Miriam got back safely with their boys from Puerto Rico, but she came back with COVID. Yeah, they're all under house arrest right now. And I hate them. Um, I'm glad you're here. Those joining us online, we thank God for you. Um, I'd like for us just to pray a second and ask God to speak to us. Would you bow with me? Our Father, my heart is that each person here would have a full and fresh experience of your deep and prevailing love. So we want to hear from you, Lord. Would you speak through me now to the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Hey, do you remember any prayer you prayed when, when you were a kid? I had one go-to prayer. I prayed it every single day, and it went like this. Dear God, help me be a good boy. Uh, help me stay out of trouble. The prayer never worked. <laughs> I was one of those irritating, troubled kids that you just were glad if I didn't come to your house. I mean, I remember the first time my mom caught me in a lie. It wasn't the first time I lied, but the first time I got caught. And it's late afternoon, school is over, she's getting supper ready, but she sends me to bed, no supper. When my dad comes home, she tells him, he comes into our bedroom, my brother and I shared a bedroom, just a little two bedroom house. We had bunk beds, I slept on the top. My dad um, came into the bedroom, looked me in the eye and gave me a dad talk on the evils of lying. And then he spanked me uh, right where I lay on that top bunk. I mean, and he was just weeping, crying as he gave me a whooping. Uh, he walks out of the bedroom, closes the door. And I know in that moment how I disappointed him, but mostly I knew I was a liar. Um, not long after that, a little carnival came to our town, you know, the rides, the amusements, cotton candy, the whole deal. And I burned through what little money I had in uh, no time but I didn't want to stop. I went home on my bike, uh, kind of snuck into the house, found my mom's purse, opened it, and stole money out of it. Went back to the carnival, had some fun. When the money was gone, I, I came home at the supper table. My mom told me about the missing money and one, wondered if I knew anything about it. I lied and said a friend of mine took it. So now I know I'm a thief and a liar and um, kind of conflicted on the inside. Uh, I mean, every day I'm praying, help me to be a good boy, and every day I'm finding a new way to fall into sin. Well, not long after that, on Sunday, church is over, and we're standing outside. Uh, churches in those days had a very small entryway, and so we would just hang out outside, and a little kid came up to my mom and said, Dini, can I come to your house today? I didn't want that annoying little kid at my house. My mom says, sure, you're welcome anytime. And he runs off to talk to his mom and I trail along behind him and get to them just as he said, hey, Deanie Clark invited me to her house, can I go? I said, my mom didn't invite you, you invited yourself. I'll never forget the hurt look on his face, how appalled his mom was as she took him by the hand and led him away. I didn't care, I didn't give a rip. I was that kind of mean. I was that kind of mean kid, a mean liar, a mean thief. But I was so conflicted. I mean, the conflict on the inside was painful because I'm praying every day, God help me be a good boy. 
And every day I'm finding a new way to fall into, into sin. Have you ever felt that inner con conflict, that pain of knowing what's right and you do the wrong anyway, or knowing that you're doing the wrong thing and you don't give a rip? Well, that was me when I was a kid. Or maybe your pain comes from conflicts in your relationships. I mean, if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or you're married and you have conflicts in that relationship, that's painful. Conflicts with our children, those conflicts are painful. Conflicts with people at work, at school, in the neighborhood, conflicts are painful. Have you ever been in a, a church conflict? Don't raise your hand. What am I doing? Have you ever been in a church conflict? Oh, baby, run for cover. There's nobody meaner than church people. Uh, present company excluded, of course. Um, one of the ugliest church conflicts, probably the poster child for ugly church conflicts, was the church in Corinth in the first century. Paul wrote them uh, three letters trying to untangle the ugliness of their infighting. And these guys in Corinth, they would fight over everything. They had this bitter dispute over who their favorite preacher was. They argued over sin. If you did it, it's sin. If I do it, I, I'm okay. I'm all good. They judged each other on how much money they had. And the people who had more felt like they deserved preference in the church. They they judged each other on how they dressed. They judged each other even on the food they ate. They, they, they were critical. They, they, they fought over which was better, to be married or to be single. I mean, it was just one fight after another, and I've just taken you on a whirlwind tour of the first 12 chapters of 1 Corinthians. You read that letter, and you just, by the time you get to chapter 12, you're like, I can't take another one of these ugly fights and arguments. Just let it be done. And that's when the Apostle Paul, who's writing, offers the, the, the beautiful solution to the ugliness of conflict, whether it was an inner conflict like the kind I suffered as a kid, or if you come today and you've got conflicts going on in your marriage or with your kids or with somebody at work, the Apostle Paul offers a beautiful, redemptive solution. He's like, you don't have to get down and dirty in conflict anymore. You don't have to fight anymore. And here's the beautiful solution. It's God's love. Here's how he sets it up. I mean, he's going to give them what is maybe his most famous passage of scripture that he writes. And some of us, we know it, we've heard it. It goes like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. Love is not proud. Love is not rude or self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. It delights not in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Love always protects, always hopes, always trusts, always perseveres. Love never Love never fails. Well, before he writes those words, after this long litany of ugly, bitter conflict in the Corinthian church, he closes chapter 12 with these words. I will show you what is the highest way of all. You know how to fight. You know how to bicker. You know how to quarrel. You know how to have conflicts. But I will show you the highest way of all. 
And, and, and the highest way that rises above any conflict is God's love. And maybe if you've been around church a little bit, you've heard that the Greek word, you know that the New Testament was not written in English. It was written in a common uh, Greek. It's called Koine Greek. And uh, maybe you've heard that the Greek word for God's love is agape. It's unlike any kind of love that you could ever experience in your whole life. It is way higher than any human experience or expression of love. In fact, agape, God's agape, God's love is a three-dimensional love. And here are the three dimensions. First, it is God's compassion. God always at work to your good. As long as you've been breathing, as long as blood's been beating hot in your veins, as long as you've been alive, God is actively at work to your good, hoping that you'll respond with your love, hoping that you'll respond with gratitude, hoping that, that you would make him the, the object of your worship and your devotion. That's his compassion. He's always at work to your good. But the second dimension is God's grace. That's giving, 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 asking nothing in return. You don't have to say thank you. You don't have to give back. You don't have to show appreciation. You can even be bad to me. You can treat me poorly. You can disrespect me. And God's love is I'm just going to keep giving. I'm going to keep giving. I'm going to keep giving. And the third aspect of God's agape his mercy is his mercy. That's God protecting us from bad stuff we deserve for bad stuff we've done. And when you, when you have personally, when you have genuinely experienced God's love in all three dimensions, you've experienced his goodness, you've experienced his grace, you've experienced his mercy, you begin to exhibit it. In fact, if you are not exhibiting and giving expression to the love of God, you probably have never experienced agape. God's love. Uh, but if you really have it, you are compelled to do good, to do what's best for others in your life. I mean, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, kids at school, teachers, even for people you don't even know. You want to do good for, you want to do what's best for them if you have the opportunity. I mean, with your family, you always had the opportunity. Stranger on the street, it might just be a high, have a great day. You want to give. You want to give and give and give, asking nothing in return. They don't have to say thank you. They don't have to give back. In fact, they can treat you poorly and you just keep giving. That's how is evidence that you've really experienced God's agape and you show mercy. When someone hurts you or disrespects you, you don't hurt back. You just absorb the hit. You absorb the hurt. And you forgive. Love keeps no record of wrong. Now, i just be real with you. There is no human in this room capable of loving with God's love. I can't, you can't. Unless we actually have the Holy Spirit of God alive within us. That's who generates this level of love that is compassionate, does good for others, that is gracious, gives and gives, asking nothing in return, that is merciful, doesn't fight back, doesn't hit back. In fact, I would say this, that the more of God's Spirit, the more of God's Spirit within us, the more we do agape the more we do compassion and grace and mercy 
to others. Have I ever told you about um, when I was a truck driver? I was 21 years old. This is like 50 years ago. I was 21 years old and a local company in the town I went to college, I was working my way through college, uh, they lost a truck driver just like that. Somebody told me and I went and applied for a job. I had never driven a truck bigger than my dad's pickup. It did have manual transmission, so I knew how to use a clutch, move through the gears. Um, They were so desperate. In the face of my ignorance and inexperience, they hired me. And my job, it was an eggplant. So my job was to take uh, drive for the drivers who are on summer vacation. And I would travel uh, to big cities and small country towns and deliver eggs to grocery stores. And my first few days at work, I rode along in a semi with another driver. I loaded and unloaded the truck and I learned how to drive a big rig. And we would come back and talk to the boss. Uh, the boss would say, did you learn anything, David? And the other driver, before I could talk, he would say, no. <laughs> can, you think you can drive? And the other guy would say, no, he can't drive. He might be able to drive his pickup truck, but he can't drive one of these. Well, they hired me anyway. I, I do, this, this day, I was not driving a semi, I was driving another great big truck and um, gotten through a Peoria, was out in the country going to a small town, grocery store there. And I mean, I'm out in the middle of nowhere. This is 50 years ago. No GPS, no cell phones, and I had no brains. <laughs> and the truck runs out of gas. And oh man, I was so mad at my boss and the person supposed to maintain the truck. They all called me preacher boy because I was a young guy and a new guy and um, I just figured somebody hadn't gassed it up. So I get out of the truck and I'm kicking the dirt and talking to myself and pacing. By the grace of God, an old farmer sees my plight and he comes up to me and says, son, have you got a problem? I said, yes, this stupid truck is out of gas. He walks over, climbs up to the cab, opens the door, does one of these to me. So I walk over there, climb up beside him. There's a switch that he points to beneath the driver's seat, right here on the side where you could reach down and move it. He moves it from one side to the other. He said, it's not the truck that's stupid. (laughs) He said, your truck has two gas tanks. When you run out of gas in one, move the switch and drive with the other tank. Now, I tell you that story, not to let you know how stupid I am, if you haven't figured that out already, but you have two tanks of fuel in your heart that power God's love for your life. And if you try to be more loving, you'll fail every time. You'll frustrate yourself, you'll frustrate others. What you focus on is keeping those fuel tanks filled up so that they power the love that comes out of you for other people and grace and mercy and compassion. And Paul describes these two tanks of fuel with these words. Love is patient. That's one tank. Love is kind. Now, we mentioned earlier, the Bible was not written. The New Testament in English, it was written in Greek. And this is one place in scripture where the English really fails in helping us understand what Paul means. The Greek word in the text for Translated patience is macrothumia. And we th- when we think of someone who's patient, we think of someone who is calm 
and puts up with a troublesome situation, a troublesome person, a troublesome child. That's our idea of patience. That's not what this word means at all. Macrothumia means a relentless, relentless, unending, ongoing passion that never gives up on people. That's how God loves you. Paul is throwing the spotlight on God's love. This is in a completely different universe than what we think of as the English word patience. Macrothumia. God loves you with, from the day you were born. God has had a relentlessly, a relentless passion for you, hoping that you'll respond with your passion for him. He has never, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been with your life, no matter how dark your thoughts or your behavior, God will never, 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 never give up on you. In fact, he's brought you here today so that you would be confronted with and deeply experience his relentless love for you. His relentless love that never, never gives up. Now, if you want to learn how to interpret the true meaning of Scripture, you look for different places in Scripture where the same word is used so that you interpret Scripture with Scripture. And so another place where macrothumia is used in the New Testament, it's written by one of the best friends of Jesus. His name is Peter. And here's how he uses the word macrothumia. The Lord is patient. Doesn't mean that he puts up with us. Doesn't mean that he's calm in the face of struggle. It means that the Lord is patient. He's got this relentless passion for you. He's never given up on you. You see, he doesn't want anyone to perish and go to hell. He's given everyone, me, you, time and space to change and to turn to him. We need this fuel, this macrothumia fuel to fire up our compassion to always do the best for others. Maybe I should ask, are you loving on fumes? I mean, is your love tank almost empty? Are you trying to love on empty? Is there no macrothumia in your tank? No relentless passion. I mean, how, how much compassion are you showing to your spouse? How much grace are you extending to your children, huh? When someone hurts you, do you hit back or do you, or do you give mercy? You gotta you got stay fueled up. That tank of patience, that tank of macrothumia, say that three times fast, <laughs> has to stay filled. That's the power. That's the fuel that will drive your love, your relentless passion, for other people so that you never give up on them. Never give up on them. Never give up. I was driving my truck to church today and as I drove, the radio wouldn't come on. It's an old truck. Um, but now I figure I can't drive more than 10 miles from my home. I can't drive on roads where the speed limit exceeds 40. I can't drive at night. Thank you. I take that as an amen. <laughs> so why do I need a Decent vehicle for. But so since the radio doesn't come on, I start praying. I, I begin to thank God that he's never given up on me. I begin to thank God for some reason. I think of my granddaughter, uh, 26 years old, working at the University of Chicago. And thank God for never giving up on her. Think of my daughter, Lovia, uh, living in uh, with her family in uh, Green Bay area. And thank God that he's never given up on 
her. I thank God. I thank God. Right now in this moment, I thank God. He has never, never, he will never give up on you. No matter what you've done, no matter how dark, no matter how many lies, no matter if you've, if you've stolen from the one person who trusted you most, no matter how mean you've been, he never, never, never gives up on you. That's one tank. The other tank is this. Love is patient. Love is kind. And again, the English fails us here. I mean, in English, when we think of someone who's kind, we think of somebody's grandma who's soft and easy and makes great chocolate chip cookies. That's not what this word means. It's hard for me to pronounce. Let me see it on the screen. Uh, it's Christauomai. That's the word translated kind here. But it doesn't mean kind in the way we think of kind. It means the will and the courage to make a real difference in someone's life. The will, you gotta, I mean, I, I am devoting my life to making a real difference. And I'm gonna, whatever it costs, whatever the price, whatever the sacrifice, I'm gonna use my life to make a real difference in other lives. Is it, that was Jesus, right? He identified the need. If people were hungry, he fed them. If people were hurting, he healed them. If people were lonely, he put his arm around them, befriended them, embraced them, made them his own. And if that's the way Jesus was, that's the way we gotta be. Whatever the cost, we have the will. And there is something heroic in this word kind. It is a kind of love that is heroism in action, both of those words, patient and, and kind, are verbs in the text. They are action-oriented. So that if Jesus identified a need and did whatever it took to, to meet that need, that's got to be yes. It's why we have this feeding program here at church every Wednesday. People show up, hungry people from our immediate area. They show up and we give them a week's worth of groceries. Oh, there's a cost. Let me tell you, have you been to the grocery store? There is a cost attached to giving away groceries. But this church has the courage and the devotion to help the hungry. It's why we have, uh, along with all of our other ministry to children right here um, in this community and in our church, why we have an orphanage in Haiti. And I will admit that my adopted son from Haiti, Wilkie, is a driving force behind that orphanage. But when he was a kid growing up, he was just a street kid. His mom had been a prostitute, not like a prostitute in America for money, but she would sleep with men and they would give her food and that's how she fed her children. And one of those men uh, murdered her. And so my son, uh, he, he's an orphan. He doesn't, won't be, he's never allowed to go to church because he doesn't have clothes. And he's not allowed to go to school because it costs money and he has none. In fact, he came to America um, at age 13, went to second semester of sixth grade. It was the very first day he'd ever been to school. Barely spoke English. So now he wants to care for kids who grew up like he did. He wants to help feed them. And so we join him in that as a church. That's our orphanage. We make sure they're fed. We make sure they're clothed. We make sure they're, they're housed. We make sure they get to school. We make sure they know the love of Jesus. But that's what this, yeah. So here's how you know 
If you've got this courageous kindness working in you, you serve someplace in the church. That's how you know. It's not really rocket science or you have to jump off a cliff or anything. You make a difference in people's lives. You have the will and the courage to make a real difference. Um, back to my truck driving days. Uh, preacher boy, they would play pranks on me and uh, lift the truck and with my schedule. And uh, they would give me, since I was a newbie, new guy, I always got the oldest, most beat up, least maintained truck. One time, I'm out in the parking lot making everything is good on this thing. And you know how those big trucks have a door on the side so you can pull out a ramp, um, take your cargo off in the middle and you don't have to go from the very back all the way to the front. Well, on this truck, as I inspected it, that door, there's like a rod that goes down and on the end of the, the rod is like a tooth that slips in to a, a thing that holds it so that door stays shut. Well, that tooth was broken off. So I go into my boss and tell him what's going on. He comes out, looks at, yeah, you're right. As dumb as you are, you're right. It is broken off. This guy calling me dumb, he takes a rock out of the parking lot and forces it, wedges it in there. He says, go ahead and get on the road. I did pretty good so far till I get downtown Peoria, heading for a grocery store, make a sharp turn. That door flies open and cases of eggs come dumping out in the street. Yeah. I think I'm just gonna keep going. <laughs> but there's police involved. They say, don't worry. Don't worry, son. There's a city worker coming to clean it up. The city worker there says, I'm not cleaning up that expletive because this is, this is hot summer, central Illinois. Stuff is scrambling on the road. People are coming up to me as I'm pushing a broom and a shovel. Uh, can we have some of those eggs? I don't care. High school kids are driving by going, hey, Eggman, hey, Eggman. I picked up an egg and fired it at him. No, I didn't. <clears throat> anyway, on, on another day, I'm in Peoria, uh, driving toward an intersection. The light turns red. I hit the brakes, nothing. I'm like, oh my gosh, hit him again, nothing. I begin to downshift as quickly as I can. Hit the brakes again, nothing. Cars are entering the intersection. They got the green, they're coming in their intersection from both directions. I just hit the horn. I'm, come, I'm not going fast, I'm going slow, but I can't stop. And that big truck would have tore one of the cars up. Fortunately, by the grace of God, they don't hit me, I don't hit them. Uh, as I swerve through, I make a hard turn to the left. With its momentum, the truck hits the curb, bounces up on the sidewalk and comes to a stop right beside a door window. I don't even know need to go in that store to use the bathroom. I just wet my pants right there. <laughs> but what I found, there, there is nothing scarier than being in a vehicle and having no brakes. But the same is true about your relationships. There's nothing scarier about being in a relationship with someone who doesn't know how to hit the brake emotionally. Here's what the word of God says. Well, that's not the word of God, that's me. But go back to it a second, please. The love of God in us knows how to hit the brake. Okay, now go to the text. Thank you for helping me. Love does not envy. 
When you feel the ugly green-eyed monster of jealousy, you're jealous because somebody else got the promotion. You're jealous because they make more money. You're jealous because of that kind of house they got, car they drive, clothes they wear. When you feel that ugly thing come up inside you, you got to hit the brake and not go into that level of sin. Not let jealousy take root, a bitter root in your heart. Hit the brake. Text goes on. Does not boast, love does not boast. If you hear yourself talking about yourself, patting yourself on the back, tooting your own horn, maybe you don't even realize it. You talk about yourself so much you don't even get it, but your spouse or your kids tell you. You got to hit the brake. Stop talking about yourself and listening to other people. Because you talk about yourself enough. The ugliness of pride. Love is not proud. You see, arrogance is a stench that makes you unpleasant to other people. So if you have any hint of pride starting to rise up in your life, you got to hit the brake, shift from the pride lane into the humility lane. In the pride lane, God opposes you. That's what the Bible said. God opposes the proud. But in the humble lane, Scripture says that God exalts, lifts up the humble. It is not rude. If you find yourself feeling annoyed at someone, hit the brake. You don't want to go to rude. You want to hit the brake before you get annoyed. If you want your own way, if you're self-seeking, you find that is, hit the brake. Because the love of God is compassionate. It does good for others. It's not easily angered. You begin to feel your blood rush to your face and your adrenaline pump. You start to get angry because you're not getting your way. That's what anger is. It's the emotion you feel when you don't get your way. You start to feel that surge in you. You got to hit the brake. Take a deep breath. Walk away. Refuse to be angry. Scripture says, don't let the sun in your sin. Do not be angry. In your anger, do not sin. There we go. In your anger, do not sin. Put the brake on. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. You get 24 hours to keep that break down. Walk away, take a deep breath. It keeps no record of wrong. Love forgives and forgets. They hurt you, you take it. You absorb the hit. They are disrespectful, you take it. You absorb the hit. Love does not hurt back when we're hurt. It keeps no record of wrong. Probably to me, the, the most beautiful picture of God's love is Jesus on the cross. It's God's compassion. It's Jesus sees our deepest need, our sin, and he's willing to give his life in full sacrifice to pay for our sin. He's doing what is best for us. It's, it's God's grace. Jesus is giving and giving and giving, asking nothing in return. That's why scripture says we are saved by grace through faith. We give and give and give, asking nothing to return. That's what Jesus did. And, and then he was God's mercy. He took the punishment on the cross, all the punishment I deserved for every lie I've ever told, all the punishment I deserved for stealing from my mom or being mean as a snake. When they pulled his beard out by the roots, that was the punishment you deserve for your sin. When they bludgeoned his head again and again, that's the punishment I should have received for my sin. When they beat his face beyond recognition, that's what we should have got for our sin. He took the punishment for us. He took the punishment so we would be forgiven. When they whipped his back with a, 
a whip that had nine pieces of leather and stones and metal and glass in the ends of the leather, ripped off his skin and muscle. That's what I deserve for my sin. And he took it all when they pierced his wrist to the cross and his ankles and he bled and died over six hours for, that's what we deserve. But Jesus took our place as our substitute, got the punishment we deserved and we get free. We get forgiven. We get mercy. That truth, that picture is encapsulated in John 3, 16, where the word of God says, God's, God loved people of this world so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, so that everyone who has faith in Jesus will have eternal life and, not, and, and never really die. Now, I'd heard that verse at church when I was a kid. In fact, I went to a Christian camp and I memorized that verse, but I didn't get it until one day I'm sitting in church and the preacher is preaching on the love of God and John three sixteen and the cross of Jesus and Jesus victory over the grave that he rose on the third day and it just bam hits my heart and the preacher's done. He comes down off the stage and has the people stand and says that anybody that would like to surrender their lives to Jesus and be baptized can come forward. Well, as I stood there and sang, I looked around and nobody moved, but someone moved inside me, some capital S someone, and I moved. I stepped out into the, the aisle, out of my pew, and I just made my way down the front. Preacher stuck out his hand. I took his hand. And I said, I need to have my sins washed away. I need to have all the lies stuff that I've done and lied about and no one knows. All my meanness. I need, to, I need to have my sins washed away. I want to be baptized. And so he graciously led me through confessing Jesus as my Lord. Helped me go through the experience of sharing fully in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That was 60 years ago. So I've had 60 years of God being nothing but good to me. 60 years, 60 years of his grace. Just giving, 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 asking nothing in return. 60 years of his mercy covering my every sin by the shed blood of Jesus and giving me victory by his resurrection. So how can I walk out today? How can I go home to my Debbie? without issuing you the same invitation to come to the front. I'll come off the stage. George will be down here with me. We'd like to invite you to name Jesus as your savior. I'll lead you through a confession of faith. I'd like to have you share fully with Jesus in his baptism. We've already had a spiritual Super Bowl here this weekend. We've had four baptisms. That's, I want... I want to tell you, that's a shutout. That's God for, that's Satan nothing. So let me invite you now. Would you stand with me, please? Let me pray God's love over you and invite you to the front. Um, but please, uh, as George and I are down here, um, if you need the touch of God's goodness on your life in any area, just come to one of us and we'll be happy to pray with you personally. But let me pray over you right now. Father God, what a gracious and merciful God you are. We call down your goodness on this gathered people. Let each one experience your love 
your profound agape with, with the desire to leave this place and exhibit it and express it to others in their life. Always compassionate, always gracious, always merciful. Holy Spirit, come now with your loving kindness and convict hearts of their need. Show us your goodness now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wire podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and follow us on our social media platforms. That way you can stay up to date with what's happening here at Central. And as always, have a great week.